What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast, hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today Sports Media Group. I am your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. I am joined by my guy, Nick Fryer, who has been a very busy guy lately, guys. He's covering the Celtics. He's cover- He's doing stuff for DraftKings. He just covered the Brooklyn Nets la- uh, last night in their game against the Golden State Warriors. Now he's on p- this podcast with me today, Wednesday, January, uh, excuse me, not January, December 23rd. As the Philadelphia 76ers get set to begin the 2020-21 season to take on the Washington Wizards tonight. Nick, what's going on, man? Man, you're excited for the season to get into full swing, aren't you? You only want it to be January. I am. To be honest with you, I think it's just more me wanting 2020 to just go away. That's I, I, fair. I think, I think I'm just ready for 2020 to be over. I want it to be January already. Let's get to 2021 and hopefully, you know, it'll be a better year than this miserable year that 2020 got, you know, they presented us with. Yeah, that's fair. I think, and for the Sixers fans too, I can imagine them just wanting to get deeper into the season because you're going to start to see what this team looks like under Doc Rivers. And I know you want to get into it, but like it's, they have a reason to be excited. They absolutely do. And we're going to get into all those reasons right now. Sixers getting set to take on the Washington Wizards tonight. Now, Nick, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, they now have shooters around them. They now have shooters around them, just as they did in the past. Their offensive rating was really high in the past when they had shooters like Robert Covington and J.J. Redick uh, around them. Dario Sharch, too, if you really want to throw him in there. Then the year after that, you had Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler along with Redick. And their offensive rating was really high. Last year, it dropped. They, they, tried to, they tried to go big with Al Horford and Josh Richardson. It didn't work. Horford and Richardson are now gone. As we head into this season – your expectations for uh, Joel and Ben from an outside standpoint? I think right now, they, I mean, they, you talked about, was it, uh, two, they were one of the most efficient offenses a couple years ago in the league when you have those kind of shooters. I, I Look, J.J. Redick is a little bit different than Danny Green. Seth Curry, though, I think is a huge addition, too. I really like what Daryl Morey did in this offseason, and I never thought I'd say that ever in my life, no matter what team he's running. But right now, I mean, they're – they're in a really good position where we've seen some other teams in the Eastern Conference drop off. And it's all – I think it's more centered on Joel Embiid than it is Ben Simmons just because I don't have as much confidence in him when you look at his personality and how he approaches things. I, I do wonder how, how Doc is going to have an impact on him. But, of course, Ben Simmons on the defense end makes huge difference. But we're, we're just talking about offense specifically. To me, it's Embiid. And how many positions is he going to take off? How many positions is he just going to – hang around on the perimeter and I get he's improved with his three-point shooting over the years but I want to see him go at it down low and then kick it out if you know he has options to do that now here's the thing though Doc Rivers kind of already mentioned that he, he's not going to be the type of guy who's going to get on these guys about shot selection uh he mentioned the other day he doesn't care what kind of shots Joel takes as long as the ball goes in you know like 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 Doc is not going to be one of those guys um, who's going to limit Joel to just one floor spot. He's going to allow him to hang out on the perimeter, make a play in that type of, um, I guess, atmosphere, that type of environment. If he can get the ball at the top of the key, get a screen, drive to the basket, pull up for three, Doc is not going to care because Doc really wants Joel to expand his game. It's going to be the same thing with Ben Simmons, too. Everybody thinks that Doc is going to be the savior and be on Ben and be like, oh, I want you to shoot the basketball. I want you to shoot the basketball. And, like, sure, may- and sure maybe that's true to a certain extent. Like, maybe he'd like to see Ben take a three a night or something like that. But Doc isn't going to be up his ass about it either. Right. And also, here's the thing, Nick, and, and you've known this from Doc's – Celtics days. Doc's teams are normally very good offensively. 
Like, mm-hmm. uh, in his seven years with the Clippers, they were in the top ten in offensive rating in all seven years, including being the top offensive rating team, I think, I think two of those seven years, if I'm not mistaken, when I looked it up. Mm-hmm. And then with the Celtics, they were a little more defensive-oriented because he had Garnett, he had Rondo. Um, Paul Pierce was an okay defender in his own right. Like, the Celtics were more defensive-oriented. That is nice. I think that's the nicest way we can put it. I'm, I'm being nice there. Yeah, yeah, nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> Point is, Celtics were a great defensive team. So Doc is going to play to his team's strengths. Right. And I think, look, with the thing with Doc Rivers, like with the exception of maybe this last group that he coached in Los Angeles with Paul George turning into a full diva mode, although some of the stuff he's complained about in the past, I can understand before his Clippers days. But that's beside the point. With Doc, he, what I think he does a really good job with is getting the most out of his, like you said, getting the most out of his team's strength, empowering his guys and helping them make their own decisions. And I feel like they make them with a little bit more conviction because he backs them. He doesn't put this pressure on them all the time where he's trying to jam his opinions of them down his throat. He's trying to manage them and their personalities and let them make their decisions on themselves. So what I'm saying with Embiid is, like, yeah, sure, he can go and take all these shots. I'm hoping that somewhere along the line, though, he realizes that there are certain things that he does that he is really – really good at and then there's some other things that he's all right fine like yeah for a big guy maybe you're fine whatever you have that other part of your game nice little addition but I don't want him settling for three-pointers too often and with Ben Simmons it's not so much like I joke about him not like we all we all joke about him not shooting three-pointers my thing is more doc not saying you have to do it you have to do it more about just trying to instill a little more confidence in the guy because as much as like I know when he talks about some of the stuff with you guys in the media and I know it's like, it takes forever for him to talk to you guys sometimes he like I know he gives these like bland answers and that's just Ben Simmons and whatever I feel like as much as I, I don't know him through a hole in the wall right I'm, I'm not there every day like you are but from what I hear and what I see him talk I feel like it's a guy who's just trying to not say anything to get himself in trouble and I can understand that. Like, there may be a lack of confidence there. Doc is somebody who can help with that, in my opinion. And that's why I think for Ben, he's more important than he is for Joel and B. Right. And we've talked about it all the time. The 76ers are going to go as far as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid take them, which should be the case. They are the two superstars or the two franchise cornerstones. They are the guys who are going to, you know, decide Philadelphia's fate. And it makes a lot of sense. They are who they are. So, Ben and Joe, now that you have shooters around them, like Seth and Danny, um, Shake Milton, I feel like is going to play a huge part in this as well. And also Furkan Korkmaz. Uh, I mean, listen. This is the funniest name ever. I don't know why it always makes you laugh whenever you what? say it. <laughs> listen, Doc, Doc loves himself some Furkan Korkmaz. You know, we're, we're going to he, – he like, he he's trying to pop the cork. You know what I'm saying? Pop the yeah. cork on, on whatever Furkan can do. Um, and Furkan, I, I thought he played well in the preseason. You know, he knocked down a couple of threes. He showed off uh, an ability to really put the ball on the floor. He showed off an ability to run some pick and roll, Nick, mm-hmm. which I didn't really expect that out of Furkan because he's the prototypical spot-up shooter. Right. Uh, so that was definitely good to see on that end. Now, when it comes to this team's rotation, Doc said he's going to play 10 guys. He's going to have the starters, and then you got the bench unit of, like, shake – Furkan, Dwight Howard, prob- and then probably either Matisse Thibel or Tyrese Maxey, and then Mike Scott. Now, Thibel didn't play too much in the preseason. I think it's, I think it's because 
offensively, Nick, Matisse really hasn't shown too much. Mm. You know, he really hasn't been able to find a three-point shot just yet. He's, he's a, obviously great defensively, but he hasn't been able to, you know, really find his niche offensively. I think that's going to hurt him a little. Yeah, I mean, that you can't – at some point when you got, got – like when you have a good defender, obviously that's great. It's a valuable piece. But if you have guys who can play close to as good of defense and they can also shoot, then you're going to go with the guy who's a, who's a better shooter and maybe a slightly worse defender. So he's got to figure right. that out. But I, I think that for me, Kai, when I saw them play, it was the Celtics and them played their first preseason game against one another, right? The yes, Sixers, did. Yeah. yes. That, that was that game. I'm watching two teams that I feel like are going very different directions this season. And mm. like the Celtics are in a lot of trouble without Kemba Walker, without him being healthy after losing Gordon Hayward. Do I think that they're bums? Obviously not, but I don't look at them as legitimate title contenders this year. Part of the problem is I look at it as the Eastern Conference is a two-team race right now. No disrespect to the Heat, but they are still my number three team. And I won't go any lower than that because they were in the finals last year. But right, right now, when I, when I saw from the Sixers that first night, I was like, this is exactly – when you add Danny Green, you add Seth Curry, and then Doc Rivers. Now Doc Rivers is making all the difference because you added those two pieces. I, and then Dwight Howard, who has this now championship pedigree – to me, like, they are a much different team. They are re-energized. And after last season where there was so much frustration, I think when you, these changes – and then you have Daryl Morey, too, who adds, I think, a little more um, – Swagger. St- yeah, swagger. Sure, we'll go with that. To, to the position, all of this stuff, I feel like they – like, what I saw that night, it's like, okay, now the Sixers are, are for real again. I still don't think that they're on the level of the Bucks and the Nets. Uh, I don't think many teams are. But I think, that they, I think they are in that next tier right now, especially in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. You you bring up that game against Boston. Seth and Danny didn't even shoot the ball really well in that game. I think Seth shot, like, one for four. I think Danny was, like, one for three, something like that. But the point is, though, the fact that they are both legitimate shooters, yeah. they've proven to be legitimate shooters, that caused the Celtics to be like, oh, damn, we can't double-team Joel and B today because if we do, we're leaving Danny open. Or, right. or we, we can't wall off Ben today because if we do, we're leaving either Danny or Seth open. There was one fast break. Ben and Joel were going. It was like a three-on-two. And the one shooter on the one side was Seth Curry. And Boston could not wall off Ben because they knew if they, if they walled him off and leave Seth open, he passes open to an open three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. There's one, you know, real huge advantage of yeah. having a shooter like that. Then you go into the half court. And Boston single covered Joel the entire time. Mm-hmm. And Joel and B is going to see single coverage. And the way this man eats people up in the post. Yeah. Just, I, I, don't, I don't see how teams are really going to defend Joel in the post this year. That's why I say like you can't just hang out around three pointers all the time, three point line all the time, and be lazy and give up on possessions if you're Joel Embiid. I understand that like you're you're a big dude and you want to try and conserve energy to some extent. I get and you want to try and help on the defensive end too. I get all of that, but like like you're making a case even more so for just him posting up all the damn time because either you're getting single coverage or you're getting double teamed. And right now, the way the team has been reconfigured and everything. You getting double teamed is going to open up something for somebody who can legitimately score, whether it's Ben cutting to the basket or you have one of the guys hanging out around the perimeter. They are like, they are and yeah, you're right. They weren't shooting as well the other night, Kai, but when we saw them in the bubble lose to the Celtics, it was, it was embarrassing. I mean, the Sixers yep. had no energy, no, no care at all. Like, I get it. You had, they just lost Ben. Why, you have no chance anyways. Why try? Sure. Whatever. 
But then you come in first preseason game, it's still a preseason. I mean, we all know it doesn't mean anything. You're just getting ready, getting used to each other. There was like a jolt of energy that they had, and it carried them for a while. I didn't even, I didn't even notice that, that Danny Green and, um, and Seth Curry weren't shooting well because I felt like everybody was playing with this increased, like, um, pre- like not precision, uh, purpose the entire yeah. time. Yeah, because they, because they now have space. They now have a cleaner workspace to be able to operate what they can, what they can do on the offensive end of the floor. Now, I, I really think the, the underrated part of Seth Curry coming in here, though, Nick, is now that Joel kind of has somebody he can do that two-man dribble handoff game that he, that he did with J.J. Redick in the past, and he can now replicate it with Seth Curry. And Seth is a guy who can do more than what J.J. can do. You know, Seth is a guy who can put the ball on the floor. He can create for himself. He can create for others. He's a 44.3% career three-point shooter. So if you leave him open, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, there were a couple plays in the Celtics game. There was one specific play. Joel dribbled to the, the right elbow. He, dribbled, he handed off to Seth Curry, and the Celtics were confused. It was like, do we want to go up on Seth or do we stay back on Joel? They decided to stay back with Joel, and Seth walked into a mid-range jump shot and knocked it down like it was a layup. So that's going to be a really scary, scary thing for the Sixers this year. And honestly, I agree with your assessment earlier. I don't think the Sixers are going to the NBA Finals this year. I, be, I do believe they need one more piece, maybe James Harden. We'll get into that, you know, another time. Mm-hmm. But I do believe the Sixers do need, like, an, another piece if they're really going to really compete with a team like Brooklyn. Because, I mean, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, my God, they, they – they, they both may have their, you know, unique personalities, but Jesus, like, like those two, if they're fully healthy, they're incredible. And then we talk about the Bucks all the time with Giannis Antetokounmpo and the, and the things that they can do. So, yeah. Uh, and look, uh, I mean, the, look, Jared Allen has gotten bodied up by Embiid before, so I'm not going to go and cite him as a guy. As, as much as I think he's a good big man and he, he just needs to put on more weight, the athleticism's there and he can protect the rim for the most part. DeAndre Jordan, obviously not the guy he used to be, but he is a big body, and that helps in covering Embiid. I mean, we saw what happened with Cantor even last year, right, where he, he made it tougher for Embiid at times. Again, Cantor is – I mean, Cantor's a way worse defender than DeAndre Jordan is, but they have that thickness that Embiid also has, and I think that makes a huge difference. Like, when just when you're talking about Nets versus Sixers, on top of, you know, you're talking about Durant and Kyrie. But I still look at the Sixers, and I say, that, like, they are – Coming into this year, before Kemp, all of Kemba's stuff, I said, okay, the Celtics uh, and the Heat, and I didn't think that the Sixers until Daryl Morey came on, is the Celtics and the Heat can create problems for the Nets and the Bucks, which are the two teams that should be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I take out the Celtics, in my opinion at this point, I take them out, and then I insert the Sixers in there as the two teams that could somehow upset the Bucks or the Nets. If anybody's going to do it, it would be those two teams. Everybody, like the Raptors, this, so that put the Raptors and the Celtics as my five, six teams. I, don't, I definitely don't take the Raptors seriously. The Celtics, it's like an outside chance. And then seven, eight, obviously. No. I mean, seven and eight will probably come down to like Indiana, Atlanta, and Washington. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, like I personally lean more towards Washington over a team like Atlanta. Just be, I think we talked about this. It's because I like Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I think that those two can really lead the way for the Wizards to get them in. But um, I, I feel like Philadelphia right now, if we're going to look at the offseason they had, bringing in Danny, Seth, and, uh, and Dwight, and then also bringing in 
or, or drafting, I guess you could say, Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, bringing in a guy like Terrence Ferguson too, who I think Ferguson is a guy who they will use in like certain situations because mm-hmm. Ferguson is one of the top defenders in the game. It's the only reason why he even played for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Ferguson legitimately played because he can play defense. He's got no offensive game None. A- at all. So if let's just say they, they play in uh, a Brooklyn or, or something, and they're in the playoffs. They can turn to a Ferguson and be like, yo, listen, we need to guard Kyrie. Or, you know, go, go bother Kevin Durant and see what you can do with him. And, you know, that, that's a really good addition. Yeah. Out, of, out of the big additions, Nick, who in your mind is going to make the biggest impact on the team? For the Sixers, I'd probably say Seth Curry. I mean, Danny Green has a, the championship pedigree, don't get me wrong. And after last season, I think he should be walking around with a chip on his shoulder because he does kind of have something to prove, even though he won last year and played a part in winning the year before, a pretty important part for the Raptors. Um, and I think Dwight Howard, to some extent, too, where you kind of go and just get I, – I, I'm still confused. Like, if it, was he pushed out in L.A., or did he decide that he wanted to go to Philly? Like, what is your understanding of that? Well, with Dwight? Yeah. Okay, so Dwight thought he had to deal with the Lakers, which is why he tweeted out that he was returning to the right. Lakers. Okay. When, but when he tweeted that out, there was no deal on the table for him to return to L.A. So Doc Rivers then gave him a call and said, come to Philadelphia. Gotcha. And then he, talk, he then talked to Rajon Rondo, and Rondo actually gave Doc a glowing review and said, go play for Doc, and then Dwight ended up in Philadelphia. How the hell is Rondo not going to give Doc a glowing review? All those guys – I mean, look, I know that that Celtics team is unbearable for a lot of people, but those guys, maybe with the exception of Ray Allen, um, and even then he's still not going to – he doesn't talk trash really. All those other guys are going to praise Doc. But – uh, so I think that Dwight Howard should have a chip on his shoulder too. But I just think with Seth Curry, when you talk about his development as a three-point shooter, obviously he's not his brother and doesn't carry that same um, – like when it comes to the press and everything, doesn't get that same kind of love. He's still a really damn good three-point shooter. I mean, clearly you're citing his numbers and everything. You're going to have to respect that. So it's like it's him and then it's Danny Green right there as well. I think he's going to have a huge impact just because floor spacers, that's what they've needed. You've got two legit floor spacers and – Seth Curry's a slightly better one, in my opinion. So I just give the edge to him. Now, see, for me, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Seth. And then number two, I'm going to say Dwight. And it's, and it's going to be because Philadelphia has been looking for a backup center for the longest time, mm-hmm. like to, ba- to back up Joel. They've gone with Amir Johnson, who – Amir Johnson, bless his heart. He just, he, he's not, you know – No. He, he's, not, he's not, you know, the guy. No. He, then they tried Al Horford for $109 million last year, and uh, that didn't exactly work out. <laughs> Banished then, to Oklahoma City. Yeah, listen, have you seen his preseason numbers for the Thunder? He's actually playing well for them. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, Boy, that's him. Normal spot. Tim and Shea out there, though. That's, that's honestly yeah. it. It's basically like the Siberia of the NBA right now. Oh, uh, poor Oklahoma City. I, I mean, I don't know I like him, and I love Shea, but it's just it's, they're not it right now. It's still Oklahoma City. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, Nick, they tried Kyle O'Quinn, who, mm. another guy, great person, but he's not Dwight Howard. And right now, Nick, the Sixers probably have the best center, backup center, I should say, in, in the Eastern Conference. Well, they have the best center in the Eastern Conference. They have the best, well, best, yeah, two, they, like best center combo in the conference. That, that's fair. They also do have the best center in the Eastern Conference, too. So they got the best center, and they've also got the best backup center. I mean, like, in, in, I don't count AD. I don't think anybody counts AD as a center with the way that he plays the game. So I would say Joel Embiid is the best. I mean, oh, no, Jokic. I 
totally uh, Jokic. I totally blanked on him. Jesus. But anyways, um, depending on who you ask, obviously in that one. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. And look, it's you, you, there was, those are three really good pieces that you added to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid this off season. You had some good guys there already, but I think that right now, uh, Howard is way better way better fit than Horford because they're just never going to share the floor together. And on top of all this too, I know that his, his numbers might make some people sick. Like, I mean, the money that he's making in terms of uh, uh, his contract and everything, but Tobias Harris is that you've said it before to me, he's going to have a, a role that suits him a little bit better because he doesn't have to go and be this like, I know he's paid like a superstar, but he's not a superstar. So he doesn't have to play like one right now. Right. There was too much pressure. I feel like on Tobias Harris last year, because not only did they lose J.J. Redick, they also lost Jimmy Butler. And they were asking Tobias to do way too much. They were asking him to replace J.J.'s shooting, but then also replace Jimmy's ability to create and put the ball on the floor for himself and others and also be the closer. So it was like Tobias went from being this pretty solid borderline all-star player to a guy who just had too much pressure on him. And then in the playoffs, just it looked like he just collapsed. It was just <laughs> God, did he ever collapse in the playoffs? Yeah, but yeah, they wanted they wanted to turn into a, a go from a fringe all star to yeah. a superstar to be what like Ben is supposed to be, like basically. Right, like 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 what? they were really they were they were really asking this guy to just to just do way too much, and yeah. I, and you know I I really look at it, and I believe that Tobias can be a, a much much better player than he showed last year, just because, again, there was a lot less pressure on him mm-hmm. to perform. Yeah, now it's simple. Yeah, they're, like, he doesn't have to be the guy anymore. He doesn't have to be the guy to close the game out or to shoot 40% from three-point range or anything like that. All he has to do now is just be Tobias. And let's just say he has it off night, you've got other guys that can step up because you've got Seth, Danny, all these other players. And I feel like the Sixers right now are just a lot more, I want to say balanced. Definitely. Yeah, a lot definitely. Balanced. You, it's just, it's crazy how much Daryl Morey has shifted things where it, like we, and when you look at him next to Elton Brand and what he did, I mean, the Tobias Harris thing and how much was asked of him. I mean, I know that's partially on Brett Brown, but that's also partially on, uh, on, on maybe even more so on Elton Brand because he's the one putting that team together. And then Brown's just got to work with what he's got. I just don't get how you got to that point where you think that you're going to go and throw him this crazy money and you're in and make him be something he's never been before on any team. I just don't know how you saw that that's what he was going to turn into. It's, just, it, it's kind of mind blowing like how much a change of Doc's, Doc is a, has been a, a valuable addition but this roster change has been is what's more important, and now he, I think he can maximize on it even more. I think he's a good fit for this team, based on what they've turned into. But more is the, the actually the real key addition of the offseason. My God, because just it's amazing. I'm blown away at my own shift in opinion on the Sixers, where I thought they were like okay, they're five six, whatever. Even when they got Doc, now yeah, Daryl Morey totally changed it. And then also here's the thing with Daryl though. Daryl is so, I guess, unpredictable when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Like, for, for, for example, we all remember that trade deadline deal he made to get Covington to bring him to Houston, and he put Cub at center, and he went with the ultimate small ball. So he's, just, he, he's unpredictable. He's, not a, he, he's a guy who's not afraid to pull the trigger on, on a big, bold move. And for Philadelphia right now, if you put 
the Sixers in a vacuum. You know what you're going to get out of Ben and Joe. Your X factors play Tobias Harris. You know what you're going to get out of Seth and Danny. And then the bench is probably their bench unit is probably going to be you know wild. Like you don't know what you're going to get out of the bench. But at the end of the day, as I said, you still need one more piece. That is where the James Harden factor kind of comes into it. Now, the Athletic reported that Ben Simmons is now included in these Harden talks. Maury then came out and denied the report, saying Ben Simmons is a part of our team. We want to see what they can do under Doc Rivers. We're not trading Ben or Joe. Brian Windhorse then went on his podcast and said, basically, that's, that claim is bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, Daryl is um, – you can't take Daryl for his word. I, I, I've heard that Ben is definitely available uh, in, in any trades. Okay. I did not know that Windhorse development and all this – my thing is, Kai, with anything on, on that's reported on Harden right now that says guys are being made available in talks, to me, it's what, who is it coming from? And I don't mean the reporter necessarily. I understand you get told something and you want to go with it, and that's the name of the game now. You hear from one person, and then you just roll with it, right? Right, right. It's, it's, and, it's, sort, it's sort of like a game of telephone. You just, you exactly. Kind of go but, it's, but it's all coming from the same place. Anybody who thinks it's coming from any like, – anytime it's certain guys are being made available or teams are now – like the Rockets are now talking to these teams, it's all coming from Harden's camp. There's no question about it. It's every single bit of it. So even when Winmore says something like that, I get it. Yeah, Maury does some weird stuff. But Maury's also the same guy who, as soon as he walked through the door in Philadelphia, said, hey, like I know I was just doing this wacky-ass small ball shit, but now I have one of the best freaking centers in the league, arguably the best. I'm not going to go and get rid of him and abandon that. Like I can, I'm going to work with that and what, what we have here because he's a legit top 10 player in the league and all this crap. So I, I, I get it. But at the same time, when Winhorst says that, says that, Okay, then that means that he's talking to Harden's camp too. All like that, the Harden's camp has to be like, and I think it was um, was it Woj? I think that's reported, or it was Shelburne, or or both of them. So like this stuff, so, somebody said it. I can't remember who the heck it was that this will not only divide the the Rockets locker room, but this will also impact other teams too as these rumors continue circulating, and that is advantageous for the Rockets because then other teams are motivated to move, move certain guys if people are getting pissed off by these rumors. Yeah, the James Harden thing is this, this is almost as volatile as the Jimmy Butler trade request with the Timberwolves. Mm. I, I mean, I, I know we all saw that report. I mean, he threw a ball at rookie Jay Sean Tate. Um, Coach, Coach Steven Silas tried to downplay and was like, oh, we're just being competitive. Harden threw him a pass and, and he dropped it and then he screamed at him. I mean, you know, that that's practice. I don't, I don't know if I'm really going to believe Steven Silas in, in that instance. I'm going to – I think James probably just really is pissed off. And I don't know if you saw it in the media the other day, Nick, but I think a, a reporter asked him, now that he's in training camp and he's with preseason and, you know, things like that, has he changed his thoughts on the Rockets organization? And, he, and Harden gave a blank stare and said, next question. I think Walt Frazier, believe it or not, I'm, I never cite any Knicks-related people ever as saying something reasonable or doing anything in, uh, smart, but he said that this whole thing is embarrassing. And it that's a, it's a legend, right? And, and I couldn't agree with him more. And we have heard it, right? I think it was Kareem that said that he tried to get out of Milwaukee um, and, and go to L.A. And, and, yeah, okay, that stuff has happened for a long time, fine. And I get it, like, as, as writers and reporters, like, we still want that stuff out there because it gives us more to write about. But, right. my God, this is some next-level, like, petulant child behavior. I it don't is. get I, 
I just don't get how you're P.J. Tucker, a guy who he's a defensive, defensive player first, so he's all grit and balls. I don't know how you look at James Harden in the face and tell him, like, I don't have any problem with what you're saying, and I'll go play for you, and I'll go work my ass off on defense while you go do your offensive thing and get all the glory and then complain about it. I just don't understand. How, and, and John Wall even, too, and Boogie Cousins. I'd want him out so bad if I'm them. I mean, here. we'll build it ourselves, and we'll ride and rock with it to what we got. I mean, listen, here's the thing, though. Like, the Rockets, in my opinion, though, like, they probably really don't have a shot to begin with. But I would love to, to see that team with Harden, John Wall, Boogie, Christian Wood, um, and, cool. and, yeah. and, and P.J. Tucker, and uh, Daniel House, and kind of see what you can do with that team. Because mm-hmm. those players I just mentioned, and sure, Wall and Cousins are coming off some serious injuries, but Wall and Cousins look damn good in the preseason. So, like, if that gets carried over to the regular season, Nick, then all of a sudden we're talking about a Rockets team that, again, probably doesn't have a – probably doesn't really have a real shot because of the Clippers and Lakers and what they do in in the West. But they they would certainly be a pretty entertaining team to watch, you know, all season. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they can put together. It'll be be cool. I mean, I'll watch them on League Pass once in a while for sure. Oh, speaking of League Pass, I actually need to buy that this week. Thank you for the reminder, Nick. There you go. You know what? You know what, Nick? I'll, I'll, maybe I'll wait till we get our six hundred dollars stimulus check. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll. Yeah, I heard about. I didn't even know that was the thing again. But hey, whatever. But look, with James Harden, honestly, again, like I joke about Al Horford and sending him to Oklahoma City, um, like send him to whatever team is least relevant right now, please. Right. Just and have him go suck there. Get your picks. That team, I'm sure, will will try to enjoy it, but they they're going to get nothing out of him because he's a baby. I, I and I get that everybody says, Wow, um, Nick. You, I, no, I, I have no love for James Harden. You know this already. And it's, You're not it's, wrong. All right. And, and, this is, and this is worse. Like, this behavior, I always felt like he's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm all about winning, and that's it. I've never felt that way about him. I, and the only part of the problem is, too, Kai, I liked James Harden when he was in Oklahoma City. So right. this is a guy who I liked, I thought was good, and has kind of gone heel on me personally, so I have no love for him. That's the other thing. I, oh, I always forget to highlight that, and, and, but that is important, why I like, don't like him as much as I do. No, listen, listen, that's fair. And I get it. Harden's way of playing basketball kind of turns a lot of people off just because he's a guy who just, you know, he, he marks, he marches to the free throw line. You know what but I'm saying? But it's just like, his like, attitude like, about it too. He just thinks, like Kyrie, everybody, like don't get me wrong, Kyrie is a weirdo. As much as he's been pretty pleasant with the media the last the two times he's talked to us, um, he's a weirdo and he talks like he's better than everybody else. James Harden does too. Kyrie's just very forward about it. I, I'll give him yeah. that at least. Like it's clear. James Harden is still like, it seems very egotistical, more so than anybody else. You're talking about a diva league and James Harden is like, like one of the top three guys in that department, in my opinion. Hey, man. Listen, you know, you know, I've always said, man, the, the NBA just continues to produce the most unnecessary drama in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like this league is, this league is petty. This, this league is, this league is ridiculous. This league is stupid sometimes. So and sometimes I feel like we're covering reality TV more than sports. I know it's hilarious, isn't it? Like it's yeah. so much fun. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and, and listen, with that being said, we're going to wrap this up. Final prediction for Philadelphia this year. I think they finished. Without getting Harden, with the team they've got right now, heading into it, final prediction. I think that they uh, – I'll get real specific for you. I think they finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. I think they end up facing – they may get to the Eastern Conference semifinals, and then if they're the fourth team, they would face the number one seed, who I have as the Brooklyn Nets, who I happen to cover. 
Um, make sure you go check out Netswire. But I think they'll lose to them in six games in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I'm going to roll with Philadelphia getting the third seed. Because I truly believe, Nick, that the shooting that they have put around Ben and Joe – and I'm again, I go back to the 2017-18 and the 2018-19 year when they had shooting around them. Those two starting lineups were the best starting lineups in the NBA statistically. Mm-hmm. I think the Sixers will get to the three seed, which then the, the two seed would have them play the Bucks in round two. I'm not a big Milwaukee fan. I'm going to go Philadelphia beats them in seven games. Wow, okay. They get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they lose to Brooklyn in six. Okay, so we both have losing six, but you have them around later. All right, because because listen, I've got Brooklyn's my pick to go to the NBA Finals again. That's Katie and Kyrie. You know they're there. I mean, I I, I think they lose to the Lakers in the NBA Finals. I think the Lakers win again this year. But yeah, okay. I I don't get. I'm surprised. Like it's one thing when it's the you know the former players and analysts and stuff like that who who think or people who cover the game like us when they think the Bucks are still gonna win it. I get that. I don't agree with them. But when I see the odds makers out there still favoring the Bucks, that kind of surprises me a little bit. I, I'm not. That's, I'm not a big believer in the Bucks. I've said that so many times on this podcast. I've said it in radio interviews. I've said it in articles. Like the Bucks to me are not that great. It's like you know what Giannis is going to give you. Giannis is obviously a freak of nature, but I mean Chris Middleton. He's always up and down in the playoffs. He always plays well against Boston. Always. Oh my but, God. But just there, there are so many times where, like, you know, he, he's up and down. I thought he played well in the Miami series. I will give him that. I thought he played well against the Heat. But the Heat, you know, they, they went on an incredible run in the bubble this year. But you don't know what Chris Middleton's going to give you. You never know with Brooke Lopez. Uh, they got rid of Eric Bledsoe, who always shits the bed come playoff time. And so, I mean, Drew Holiday could be, like, a really good, nice upgrade there. But then you still got Dante DiVincenzo, and you're not really sure what he's going to give you. And I don't like their bench. Um, I also don't trust Mike Boonholzer in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I'm not really sh- – I-, I don't believe in the Bucs. That's just me. You can trust Mike Boonholzer to sabotage the Boston Celtics, though. I'll tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Every time every time they play the Celtics, I really don't <laughs> – No, I <laughs> – sorry. I'm sorry. I cut you off. My apologies. What? No, go ahead. Like, like that was it. I was saying with how he played Kemba in the um... – in the all-star game too much. And then look at where Kemba is now. That's terrible. That's terrible, Nick. <laughs> I, I said it like, I said, like after that happened, I said, it, I, I thought it was Nick Nerf for some reason, like when I talked about it recently, like the South Celtics fans should be pissed at Budenholzer. That, that's partially on him. So, I'll give you that. I'll give you that a little bit, a little bit. With that being said, guys, we're going to wrap this up. Make sure you, as Nick said, make sure you check out netswire.com for all of his coverage covering the Brooklyn Nets. You will definitely be hearing him on this podcast plenty of times as the season continues at Brooklyn and Philadelphia. They're probably on a train course and a collision course, I should say, to match up against each other in the playoffs at some point. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at Nick underscore Fryer. Nick, final thoughts, man. Go. That man is an awesome superhero. Damn it. Damn it. No. No. Don't listen to him. He does it. Batman's awful. You and your weird, positive Batman propaganda. Kim Possible is a better superhero than Batman. That, that, that's all I'm going to say. Kim Possible is better than Batman. With that, we're out. We'll see you guys next time on The Bell Ringer. Bell Ringer.